Hey guys, and welcome to the next episode of the Shane Walsh Fitness Podcast. So we are at Coach's Corner, Volume 9. So I think myself and Dallas are a little bit stunned on how well these ones actually do and the feedback, because it was genuinely one of these last minute decisions, as always with Dallas and I, of what the topics are, one. And uh, we don't, yeah, some of them we prepare for, some of them we don't, uh, especially when it's like supplements and stuff, we know we have to kind of have the, the information on point. But I think uh, we're very, very grateful because it's it's incredible to see. And I think if we can keep kind of getting reviews in and more shares and stuff, I think it would be amazing. The reviews, we might do some incentive or some like competition. I know Dallas has kind of mentioned that a little while ago mm-hmm. uh, about kind of getting more reviews. So we might try and bribe you guys uh, to try and get that up. Because if we get more reviews and when guests are kind of like researching the podcast itself, it may help to get... The, some massive names not saying the people that aren't, aren't massive names but they will get like some of the people that I have in my mind to get on so dallas senior dallas how are we ah, doing well doing well can be yeah <laughs> well it's a little bit cold compared to yesterday but you know hopefully some sun comes out and kisses my beautiful cheeks and makes them a little bit rosy put on a hoodie um <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, so I think there's a few there's a few things that are coming up in Q and A's, and I know Dallas has had questions from his clients and some of the stuff. And there's going to be a mix of kind of nutrition stuff, myth stuff, mindset stuff, and then practical information for kind of shift workers and stuff as well. So we're going to talk about is your metab- metabolism damaged? Why perfection is stopping you from hitting your goal? Collagen is a yes or no? reframing negative self-talk and managing shift work so get ready to start the drinking game when we start talking about collagen is what i'm trying to say uh so dallas i think we're going to start talking about the first one i know this one is uh close to your heart <laughs> regarding the uh is my metabolism damaged dallas it's like 100 percent yes <laughs> no very no most of the times it's like everyone always likes to use uh the metabolism kind of aspect as the reason why things are not working and don't understand some of the intricacies of what the metabolism is and what its idea is. So like, so if you want to look at it, if we break it down, the metabolism basically is our body's way of converting, you know, energy. Um, so from food and drink into an energy that we can use, right? So if you want to think about it, this is where we bring in oxygen, we bring in calories and all this comes together and hey look the body now can move it can create new tissue it can allow you to think talk breathe yell cancel culture and whatnot since cancel culture is a big thing lately but the whole idea of it when it comes to metabolism is broken everyone always comes down saying oh the reason i'm not losing weight is because my metabolism is broken but don't understand where the calorie section comes in or what they're truly eating. And that's a big aspect because when it comes to metabolism, there's a few things that actually truly kind of dictate it. So in terms of the size of your body is a big one. So often, you know, if you are going to be a bigger individual, you're going to have a higher increase in your calories compared to a smaller one. In terms of sex plays a big role. We often see men have a slightly faster metabolism than women. And then we also, as age, as age goes on, things naturally decline to a baseline. We see this across everything. So it's like a lot of people will always like to use the, it's definitely broken for I'm not using or not losing weight when it's, I haven't controlled all the means. I haven't controlled what food I'm eating. I haven't controlled my activity levels. And so because we see a reduction 
in weight loss, we automatically assume my metabolism is broken. When in fact that if it really was in some way damaged in some way or form, you would probably have something like crushings um, syndrome or say an aspect of an underactive thyroid. That would be two kind of issues you would see with metabolism or metabolism deregulation, which is a bad, bad thing to start seeing. So we see like metabolic syndromes. Very few people actually have this, and majority of people who are underactive are actually treated, and the people who are on crushings also are treated. What happens if, say, someone has been on that silly number of 1,200 calories for a very long time, and does the whole, re- the whole thing of down-regulating their metabolism, can that come into effect, and can that have a massive impact on where with someone's progress? Oh, 100%, but I think a lot of people don't realize what's happening. No, you want you one thousand two hundred calories. Yeah, like you're gonna start losing a decent amount of weight depending on where you're at, you know. And as time goes on, your body is going to get smaller and smaller and smaller, and you're gonna lose more mass. So what we end up seeing is that down regulation of metabolism because your overall size is going down. And if we didn't have that aspect, you would pretty much burn yourself to a crisp. And the way of looking at it is like if your body didn't regulate these processes we would end up having an ability to actually kill ourselves in a sense because in the body would carry on burning the same amount of energy, even though we don't have it. And it's going to keep going, 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 and goodbye. You don't want that. So the body has a protective mechanism to go, right. We need to slow down this metabolism to ensure that we are going to survive. But what a lot of people don't realize with that aspect is that often when we see a down regulation, we also see a down regulation in the amount of activity somebody does. Yeah. And that's a massive, massive thing. So for someone who for give a random number of 200,000 steps they did in a week, in a week when they were at a certain weight, as they were carrying on dieting for say four to five months, say six months straight, pretty low calorie. We see a down regulation of about 100 to 250 calories in your metabolism, but we also see a reduction in overall steps then and general activity. So once they were doing 200,000, they're now only doing 110. That's a significant drop. And that also plays. But I think that's a huge thing for say the likes of say bodybuilders and stuff, which generally when they go really, really lean or whatever it may be, they're libido everything else will kind of slow down and they're not as productive and it's a brilliant point that you brought up there about say about in relation to the amount of calories that you are burning or and i hate using that analogy or whatever it may be but it's not about kind of doing more your body does have a safety mechanism and that's when the likes of hypothalamic amenorrhea or ha can come into it as well there's a regulation or a connection between the hypothalamus which is in your brain and the hormones and if those wires aren't working properly and if there isn't enough energy for the body to produce the signals are going to stop and then that's when the, the lack of cycle due to stress or the under under eating or the under under utilization of say carbs or fats or stress or whatever it may be mm-hmm. or overtraining kind of come in so i think that's a huge aspect but the other thing that kind of comes up an awful lot with people then is in, in relation to that metabolism thing is when we talk about hard dieting and all that kind of element is in relation to starvation mode. Hmm. And there's a study. Can you kind of go into a little bit more about kind of like Ansel Keys and 1945? Uh, the beautiful Ansel Keys. So essentially the whole idea of this study, right? 
was to see how little can we give people when it comes to wartime for rations so we can see what actually is going to happen, how long are they going to survive, what are the issues going to come behind it and everything. It's a phenomenal aspect in a study-wise that has populated a lot of the nutrition, fitness, and health um, kind of uh, industry, purely for the fact that it shows that the where a person can truly go by giving little amount of food, how far they can truly keep pulling and pulling and pulling away, and what are the adverse effects that come from. So in terms of that, like we see some of the issues that uh, these men went through was that all they could think about was food. And like these guys look like, when I mean like walking skeletons, they came from people who were average Joe So's and through their um, reduction of calories over a period of time, left the study looking like a walking corpse. And I'm like, honestly, for anyone who hasn't seen some of these pictures, I highly recommend you look. Like rib cages are showing up. You can actually see the indentations in it. Like you can see the bony structures in the arms. The face looks like it's literally about to be ripped off. It is actually mental. But like the adverse effects these guys were going through, always thinking about food, barely inability to walk, wanted to be carried around the place, wanted to be driven around the place. I went, the fantasizing about food, there were some um, aspects where all they wanted to do was eat orange peels because it gave them some feel and sensation from food. And I went, end up showing you that there is no aspect as well where the lower you eat calories, you know, or the lower or less food you go, the body doesn't suddenly just turn the equation around and go, all right, we're going to keep storing fat now. It doesn't happen because the whole aspect, if they carried on going about what they were doing, they would run into a very serious issue of using their own muscle tissue and organ tissue to provide energy if they were not given enough food over a period of time. And that's how when the people dying from starvation, it's not starvation mode puts on weight. doesn't happen. That'll be amazing but it doesn't actually happen. What ends up happening is you end up slowing down and not doing the same amount of activity. You're not being as diligent as with your food and you've got a little bit of more lethargy around. So you don't do all the things you used to do. And so that way your body now ensures that you're not going to keep going further and further what you're doing. That's all it's doing. It's slowing down and making sure the ends are meet. I kind of compare it to, so say, do you know when you're a drive when you when you're driving around and you're kind of in the red when you're looking when you're on your petrol gauge, right? And it's kind of like you're looking for the next petrol station, and you're like, crap, 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 I'm gonna run out of petrol here. That's what that is like. Yep. It's exactly. And then what? Watch how you drive. Yeah. It's no longer, I'm gonna put my foot down and accelerate. Yeah. You're like, oh, okay, I'm gonna slow. Stay in, stay in third. Yeah, stay in fourth. Exactly. It's the same thing that's going to be happening with the body. It's like everything will essentially adapt to what is occurring to ensure that you don't carry on with the process. So if you want to think about it, how humans are here today is from a amalgamation of in terms of cooperative breeding, being cooperative with people, but also having the ability to adapt and survive. And one of those functions is to ensure that our body will do whatever it can in order to see survival. We see that with pregnant women as well. The body will rob its mother's minerals. It will rob its own systems of proteins to keep the fetus alive. It will essentially make the mother worse in order to keep the survival of the baby. We see this throughout all of in terms of um, 
mammals and all other animals in terms of the whole aspects of what we do is adaptive in the nature. So we have these things that are built over a period of time to ensure we survive. The difference is when we're in the 21st century, we don't have some of these problems anymore. We don't have to go walk 200 kilometers to find water and food. So now we're not having these issues. So now everyone's like, oh, look, we've got abundance of food. We can overeat at a world's pleasure. We've got a bunch of stresses that make us also eat. And now we get to the point where like, crap, how do we lose, keep losing weight now? We have to be a bit more diligent. We have to keep moving. Where the evolutionary aspect, that was never there because we were trying to ensure people didn't die. That's the whole evolutionary aspect. That's why that is there. You see a slowdown for the very reason to keep survival. That's it. Yeah. I think I think when, when people kind of, when they start off on, on diets and stuff and they kind of, I know I put up a post recently about kind of the 1,200 calories and people say they're on 1,200 calories and then you look through their food with them like, you would lose weight if you're on 1200 calories. Would I advise you to do it? Absolutely not. Because one, you're going to restrict yourself. Two, you'll probably end up binging when you're in a low mood. You'll rely on willpower, which is like a battery. It's a finite resource. Mm-hmm. You'll end up blaming willpower motivation and you'll have no energy. You'll be fed up. Why not try to give yourself a little bit more balance and give yourself a little bit more permission and try to, if you're constantly doing that over and over and over again, the failure is there. The feedback is there. Oh yeah. But then why keep going back to it? It's like, would you would you get your kids to do it? Would you get whoever else to do it? Um, and I think a lot of people just need to kind of realize that if if it sounds too good to be true, or if it sounds too extreme, or whatever it may be, it's probably bullshit. And as Dallas and I know, in nutrition, there's never a definitive. It depends. There's the first drink. Um, so there's the first drink, and I think people just need to kind of try and move away from that so if you're if you're unaware or you want to listen back to that part again i would highly encourage you to do so regarding metabolism um i think we'll talk about collagen now and i think this is one of those things that kind of comes in it's these are this is one of those things that kind of collagen is kind of one of the most abundant protein in the in the body and stuff but i know dallas is going to talk about a few of the benefits um and I'll, i'll bring in a couple of studies as he goes but this is Dallas's baby. So let's go, Dallas. <laughs> so when we're talking about collagen, right, we can talk about majority of the time we see type 2 collagen. Um, so basically a peptide. Um, it's usually seen in joint cartilage um, throughout the body and uh, kind of used in small process in the, the body. Now, when it comes to it, everyone always believes that there's some groundbreaking aspects to collagen, which we're still as we like to say it depends and there's still a lot of research still needed to come out on these things but in sense like when we're talking about it when we see doses of about roughly about 10 grams to 15 grams a day of hydrolyzed collagen we often see improvements in say your skin health we also see a marginal benefit to your joints um, you can either take it with meals we can take it at the end of the day um, often you will see when people are taking it for an aspect of joint health, we usually take it with about a gram of vitamin C. Why? Because it increases collagen synthesis slightly. I'm going to mean slightly, that's a little bit more than baseline. So that's why it's always like, oh, look, there has been some improvements. Not that it really does mean it's going to make a big change over the long period of time. It's possible but it's still up for debate on that one. Um, we've also got like a little bit of research 
to show that there are some benefits with pain in osteoporosis uh, patients as well as rheumatoid arthritis patients. Um, the optimal dosage that's still being worked upon, hopefully we do get a few more studies on that one, the likes of exercise-induced joint pain is an interesting one. Um, we've got about two studies apparently showing um, in terms of taking some collagen just before training has yeah. uh, reduced joint pain within the training session. It's a bit of like, okay, interesting. Is it a placebo aspect? Possibly. Is the fact that the people know they supposedly taking something because it's a collagen that's always told it's going to reduce pain, that that's why it occurs. Um, so that's a possibility. We often, like I know other aspects is that people want to take collagen as a way to boost their protein. Yeah, I would often stick with a, a better source of protein that actually has research showing that it increases protein synthesis when taking. Collagen does not increase protein synthesis in the body as much as the likes of whey, chicken, and all the other meats. Um, so that's something to look at. I do know you were talking, we like when we're talking off air, we're talking a bit about like hair and nails. Wow, bring that up. Why don't you bring up the hair? Just throw that at me. Uh, yeah, so there are like, I think with taking collagen may increase the strength of your nails by kind of preventing a little kind of brittleness. It's a kind of like the analogy of the kind of the bone loss as well. And it may, emphasis on may stimulate a little bit more kind of hair and nail growth as well. There with kind of, there's one of the other myths that's kind of out there is in relation to gut health. Mm. There is currently no scientific evidence to kind of back that up. Some, pra some practitioners will promote the use of collagen supplements to to treat like an imaginary thing called leaky gut syndrome. Uh, that's, that's not a thing either. Um, and I think in relation to muscle mass, there's some studies, but it was kind of like, it was one study in kind of 27 frail men, I think it was. Mm -hmm. And they kind of gained 15 grams while partici participating in exercise daily for like 12 weeks yeah. um, compared to those that didn't. And they kind of significantly gained more muscle mass, but that's only a sample of 27. That doesn't make it definitive. Like anything, there has to be more research to do it. Yeah. Um, and then I think the, the one about the joint pain, there was a couple of other studies, small enough for like 73 athletes, uh, consume 10 grams of collagen for 24 weeks joint pain decreased a little bit um, but it, it, there's no definitive on it either I think the main one is that's kind of the skin is kind of like the probably the most promising in relation mm -hmm. to it um, kind of reducing wrinkles and, and dryness and stuff but as as Dallas has said I think I would kind of lean towards sticking with your your original idea of kind of getting enough protein in if I was being if I if if I was working with someone, they kind of brought it up. Don't get me wrong, by all means, take it, but don't expect it to be the magic cure for the other ailments. There are other better sources for it. Oh, 100%. So it's like there are aspects that like you can bring in, say, obviously, the people with like pain and everything because bringing it in using more of that placebo aspect for 100%. Because um, placebo is a wonderful thing to use and utilize that people often don't. Just because you have a belief in it working means that you can start seeing an effect change. So it is something to often think about in that sense. But overall, for like, if you're looking at it from a kind of supplement for kind of muscle gain or fat loss, like not really. It's like the efficacy for protein, it's not really there because it's got a, a, a lesser degree of amino acid profile compared to a normal, like say whey protein, chicken, milk, yeah. and the likes of those. Yeah, big time. I think that's a huge point. Like, 
there are better sources if you want to use it use it but there are there are other sources that you can kind of go for don't just look over a quick fix with supplementation look at nutritional intervention first is what i always say to clients like look at the root cause first and then kind of go with nutrition and then we can tweak things after that if we need, if it, if we need to end the supplement route oh yeah i think it's everyone wants to jump to the quick fix though that's that's fitness yeah but like it's in so many domains as well like i want to get rich quick even though it takes a while it's like i want to i want to look i want to get 10k i want to have a six-figure business all that kind of stuff exactly and you're looking down like sorry what it's like no this this, like they expect this like when we see in development developmental um so when we see in children, like transient exuberance, right, is that for a short period of time, we see a rapid amount of growth and change. And it's like, we need to, we, we need to learn how to walk. We need to know how to talk. We need to adapt to the environment and actually take all the stimuluses in. And you see neurons changing, everything going on. And we see death in there. We see an increase. We see all these amazing things in such a short period of time. People are like, I want that now. And you're like, that doesn't happen until after you finish that kind of period in your first like zero to two, approximately three years, you don't get that anymore. Now you need to put the time and effort into it. It takes time to build these things. It's not some quick, oh, look, here in goes an injection. Out comes me looking like I'm Arnold Schwarzenegger. Ain't going to happen. Oh, there's your rant. There's the rant everyone wanted. I think the rants are what our people seem to enjoy. So there's the first rant. How what time did we have? <laughs> like what 15 10 15 minutes and 15 minutes um so i think the next one that we're going to talk about was in relation to perfection it's kind of coming up an awful lot and i don't think a lot of people understand the psychology they don't understand the 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 thing that they bring in to the table when they are trying to go and do anything really Mm. and from research and i was like because i have like the seven answers and you answer yes or no to them like i'm gonna go through now and you kind of take a few of them i think dallas will take a few of them as well no i know exactly where this is <laughs> I'm like ah oh, okay I'm, I'm gonna have to come up with a legitimate excuse here. yeah so we'll, we'll ask dallas i'll put Dallas on the spot here i wasn't gonna do it but i will but i'll kind of go through what the kind of the, the perfection or the kind of like aim for kind of like perfectionist mentality is so it's like when you're given a task and there's no other way to do it that's all in right way or no way at all and you kind of bring the exact same standards to either work relationship whatever it may be to your dieting and being a perfectionist dieter is the all or nothing approach and it's literally like chicken and broccoli and then or else it's just chocolate and everything around you and that's generally a trend that's happening now is that people have had a little bit more downtime and they don't understand how to kind of address the things that have been built up and built up and built up and i think that's what's happening to an awful lot of people now which is i think it's it, i think it, this whole thing is going to have a massive knock-on effect on people's mental health for a very long time unfortunately because we've been in an adrenaline overload for so long and things haven't been addressed and now that thing people are putting two and two together eventually the cogs are are clicking but like it's it's not all about like it's not only in kind of the desire for perfection can be learned from parents or living in a culture obsessed with beauty and wealth. So if you look at social media, what you've talked about there, instant wealth, instant gratification, dopamine hit, you are a mind on a daily basis that you could have or look better. If you're scrolling at night, the last thing you're seeing is someone with a big arse or massive quads, massive arms, and that's the last thing that goes into your mind. That builds up 
over mm-hmm. time. And that has a massive issue on self-control, self-compassion, self-empathy. And then whenever you start a new weight loss program, you bring those ideologies. It's normal that you want to follow the exact same rules that those people potentially have, but you don't understand where they've started from. You don't know if they've injected, you don't know what they've done. You trust that you'll be like you'll be successful in melting off unwanted pounds by adopting this kind of perfect 100% all in let's go let's go let's go you're convinced that this time is the right time this is going to be different this is going to be different until you hit the familiar speed bumps which is overindulging uh kind of like stuff at work when you were in offices of chocolate and stuff being at work social occasions and then then everything just stops it's kind of like 100 miles an hour and then all of a sudden stops and your progress just hits a plateau and then it's like right this is stopped now so i'm just going to give up that's the all or nothing approach. And if that sounds familiar, I'd say a lot of people now are just kind of like shaking their head, taking that box. And I've been there. So I'm not coming from an ivory town, like I always have to say. So I think I'm going to go through the seven questions for a perfectionist dieter. And Dallas is on a diet at the minute. So I'm going to see what he does. Uh, do you typically begin your new program on a Monday? Question one. So people get a pen and paper right now. Pause this. All right. Do you typically begin your new program on a Monday is number one. Do you use the words good and bad to describe certain foods and your eating behavior? Dallas doesn't know because he just doesn't do it. But I'd say you have previously. Oh, yeah, previously, 100%. Yeah. But like, yeah. now not, I'm like, not, no. Oh, I'd be worried if you did because you're telling your clients not to. <laughs> every night, like, oh, I can't believe I have an apple. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because there's too much sugar. Uh, there's not too much sugar in an apple. Uh, Number three, do you typically want to speed up the process by eating less than your program suggests to reach your goal? Which Dallas and I were talking about off air in relation to, say, if someone's given a little bit more calories than they're potentially used to and they're still losing weight, but they'll go, no, I'm going to go for 1,200 calories because I want to speed it up or 1,400 calories because I want to speed it up. And then you're kind of associating with the scales dropping with that lower calorie range. That's when you get attached to that figure. You get attached to that calorie range, and that's generally what can happen. Oh, yeah. Like, I still have to call myself out on some of those at times. Like, yeah. I, I enjoy doing well in my diets because it's a thing that I'm putting into practice everything I know, and I can try different things and have that thing. So, like, when I see a lot of things solidify, I'm like, sweet. You know, that that's working in that reason, that's come there. And, you know, I can put all these little kind of little strings attaching here. And then I step on, I'm like, what? How is that not working? I'm like, everything is working. And I'm like, wait, wait, hold, what am I doing here? And then automatically snap out of the scenario and go like, hold on. It's not just me stepping on the scale here. It, there's an amalgamation of things coming together. It's about the process. And then it's like, yeah, okay. So it's like, I still go through those aspects from time to time. Where I have to go like, why am I doing this stupid nonsense? Yeah, I think we all have to. I think it's anything uh, that we do. Number four, do you expect to suffer feeling starved and deprived? I think that's a massive one that when people go on a diet, it's like, well, one, I have to attach a label to it. Two, I have to cut out all my foods. I can't have any fun. Uh, I have to be a boring berry or a salad Susan. And I can't have any fun. Can't do anything that I want to do. Number five, do you expect to completely eliminate all your favorite foods? Life is too short without chocolate. Life is too short without ice cream. Life is just too short without any of the foods that you enjoy. If you think that something is, this comes back to the relation of number two of do you think foods are good or bad? If you're labeling the foods as treat or kind of a treat meal or a cheat meal or anything like that are good or bad, why not call the food its actual name? And that will take the power away from the words because the you the words you say up all the time. Like my clients will be going going mad at me for always calling them out on like you can't say treat. I'm like, why are you saying treat? Like why? It's not a treat. It's a, it's a, you're having an Easter egg. You're having 
whatever it may be, call it by its name. Because if you call it by a, 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 an adjective that you've created or whatever it may be, um, it's going to give the power to the actual food. Mm. Do you fall off the wagon and throw in the towel after just making one unhealthy food choice? Number six. So that's the what the hell effect that we've spoken about before is like, well, I've had one donut, so I might as well have them all. I've had one drink, so I might as well have them all. That's not really the most beneficial. Like if you had a puncture in your, in your car on one wheel, would you puncture the rest of them? I hope not. But it'd be an expensive, uh, expensive afternoon. But like, it's the same with dieting. Just because you've had one diet, give yourself the permission to say, right, well, I've had a diet. And I always say, right, I'm, I'm always cautious of this. When I say, right, you've had a, do- a donut, did anyone die? I, I hope not. But like, it, you have to say to yourself and give yourself, right, I'm going to have, I'm going to be present. My kids are having Easter eggs this weekend or whatever it may be. Or there's a barbecue coming up and barbecue season's hopefully starting this week or next week or whatever mm-hmm. it may be. And there are a few more th- things are opening up in the next kind of couple of weeks and people are going to struggle with how to manage this because they've been kind of, restrictive with their time because they have been restrictive because of the movements and stuff going on in Ireland. Mm. And then there's going to be an abundance when they kind of go out, but it's still like it's feast or famine mode with the whole thing. And people are going to struggle with that all element. But if you have one meal, that's so-called not on plan and we don't do meal plants because they're ass hattery. But the, if you have one meal, that's not potentially going according to plan. Well, why not just win the next meal? Mm. But like, well, why not bring come from a abundance and a inclusive mindset as well? Like, yeah, because I like I remember I got a I got a picture of some of the girls' foods last night, and one of the girls sent me over like a uh, burger and chips. I was like, well, there's vegetables there in your potatoes, there's carbs there in your bun, there's protein in your um, protein and fats in your burger that you've made, and there's a side salad there. And I was like, well, thank you, that's perfect. She goes, well, it's a burger. I'm like, but I've I've just broken it down and said exactly what the micro the macros that we've brought in there are for you and she's like oh my god that like that makes sense um, yeah, yeah provided you're not drinking a side of a vegetable on it you're doing great <laughs> exactly or a side of vino and um, <laughs> I mean, yeah let's have the whole bottle here no. yeah exactly and then number seven are you convinced that past failed attempts were due to lack of effort and or staying focused and that's the big one it's like, oh, I'm going to blame motivation or willpower. It's like, no, because you went with the elimination diet. You went with the de- de- deprivation, starvation diet. And so I'm going to go through those again. The perfectionist dieter, ask yourself these seven questions. Do you typically begin your new program on Monday? Diet starts Monday. Do you use the words good and bad to describe certain foods and your eating behavior? Do you typically want to speed up the process by eating less than your program suggests you to reach your goal? Do you expect to suffer feeling starved and deprived? Do you expect to completely eliminate your favorite foods? Do you fall off the wagon and throw in the towel after making just one unhealthy food choice? Are you convinced that past failed attempts were due to lack of effort and or staying focused? If these patterns and attitudes sound familiar, you may be unnecessarily setting yourself up for failure. By trying to be perfect because perfection does not exist, you can still successfully get to your goal. Whether it's career, diet, you can still successfully lose weight without having to so-called perfectly diet because it's not going to end well if you try to strive for perfection all the time and then beat yourself up every time one thing doesn't go right. If you were to give the same advice to your friend, what advice would you give? Don't do it. Exactly. So I'm going to come up with some things that I've got seven points. I know I'm taking most of the podcasts up shock. Um, 
<laughs> I'm going to be selfish. It's my podcast. Uh, so we're going to, the seven ones I have are don't start on a Monday. According to, there's an author called Brian Wansink, uh, the author of Wine is Eating. 46% of uh, people said their last attempt to start a weight loss program began on a Monday morning. This study found that by Tuesday night, 31% of those dieters had already given up on their plan. Beginning a diet on a Monday makes you feel like the weekend is your last meal. You're telling yourself, I can eat whatever I want because it's the last time I want to eat those foods. On Monday, you'll be strict again. But if your new eating is plan isn't satisfying you, your hunger, your willpower, your mood or anything like that, you're, you're going to cave in. And by Tuesday afternoon, when someone offers you some chocolate or some donuts or some ice cream, you're going to you're going to crave you're going to cave instead of trying to kind of like eliminate everything why not try to say right i'm going to have some chocolate each day on a monday why not try to say right i'm going to have some uh crisps with my sandwich where i not say that that element i'm just move away from the start tomorrow diet monday or whatever it may be number two is clean up your language dallas and i are so and jane is as well we're kind of cleaning up clients language and hopefully they don't want to kill us uh but it's kind of like, well, some of them might. Um, avoid using good or bad to describe your foods. These words promote the all or nothing mindset that you're trying to escape. Uh, there's an author called Levine encourages their clients to develop to taste the indulgent food they crave and ask themselves if they're enjoying it as much as they, look, they, they thought they would. Dieters often may not even enjoy the flavor of the bad food, but they do it because of some sort of reward, some sort of punishment for their previous actions. The forbidden nature of the food is often more appealing than the actual taste itself. This rebellious thing can kind of stem from being a kid or whatever it may be, uh, that you can't have this, you can't have that, it's being cut off. It's occasionally to give, it's okay, it's, it's okay to kind of have those foods that you want to have, but it is literally about kind of finding the right the dose for yourselves. Give yourself permission. Ask yourself, is it head hunger or tummy hunger? Give in to yourself and say, right, I want to have this food. Give yourself permission to have those foods. Number three is stop starving yourself. We talk about starvation. Like you, dieting doesn't mean hunger. I think when clients, when the penny drops for, for people is that you shouldn't be, it's like, oh, I've never felt fuller. I'm, yeah, because you're eating more regularly. You're not going for no breakfast, no lunch. And then dinner is literally all the food that's in the press. And that's feast or famine mode. Eat a little bit more veggies. Have regular food. Have regular snacks to help with your blood sugars. Have smaller portions throughout the day, depending on how you're feeling. If you need a little bit more food in the evenings, by all means, have it. But like, if you're finding that you're pottering around aimlessly, just say to yourself, right, do I actually want this? If you want it, please eat it. And that's what my advice would be there. You shouldn't have to suffer through. Diet doesn't mean deprivation. Diet doesn't mean um, suffering at all. The way you're eating should be the way you need to look at it and say, right, can I do this for six months from now? Can I do this one year from now? Not necessarily being on a diet, but eating in the same patterns that you are doing now. Mm. And most people, when they're going through, like you rate how difficult your eating plan on a scale of one to 10. So I want someone to do that now is rate how your difficult your eating plan is on a scale of one to 10. If you feel that you're at the kind of the, the more difficult end of it, then it's too restrictive. If it's at the lower end, but then anything kind of below a six or a seven, then it's okay. But if it's eight, nine or 10, it's way, way too restrictive. Don't dump your, your favorite foods. Leave it in. We, ha we have hundreds and hundreds of decisions to make every single day regarding food. We don't like, our mind does stuff without us even realizing it. And there's going to be decision fatigue. And if we're kind of pottering around or kind of walking into the press, particularly working at home or whatever it may be, and you're kind of like, 
said no once, said no twice, said no three times, no four times, no five times, the sixth time you're going to budge because you, your your mind or your body will, your mind will just tell you, right, I'm just going to have this now because you're, you're relying on willpower. If you want to have it, give yourself the permission to have it and kind of move on when your next meal. Don't beat yourself up is number six. And number seven is forget the past. I think that's the, the big thing that a lot of people don't really want to do is it's easy to feel guilt and shame about weight loss. You've tried and abandoned in the past. You've kind of uh, given up friends, given up life and all that kind of stuff for this. But why not try to kind of go for kind of a time of reflection and kind of say, right, the other ones didn't work. What can I do to this one, this time, this last time? And kind of going from there. But if you really thought about how you've actually eaten those foods or you probably realized that all you were doing was snacking out of guilt. You've shoveled the food. You weren't present with your meals. Uh, you were doing it when you were stressed, tired, or bored, anxious, or lonely, the whole system. A starting point for any perfectionist dieter is to focus on eating all meals and snacks mindfully. When people hear mindfully, they hear the Buddha. And that's unfortunate the way it's working. But sit down at a table. Be present with your family. Move away from getting out of the TV. If you want to sit in front of the TV, by all means do it. But I would try to reduce a little bit. Don't do it when you're checking email. Don't do it when you're scrolling. Be present with your foods. It will help you taste the actual food. And one of the tricks um, that they talk about in, I think it is, can't remember the name of the book now. It will come to me in relation to the chocolate. That if you have chocolate and you don't really taste chocolate, like people are saying, I'm addicted to chocolate, I'm addicted to sugar. That's utter, utter bullshit. Um, but with the chocolate, like if you put the actual chocolate onto your tongue and let it melt, you will taste the chocolate. But if you're just wolfing it down, you're actually not tasting the chocolate. I guarantee if you put one or two squares onto your tongue right now or after you listen to this, I guarantee you'll taste and embrace the chocolate. You will feel fuller for longer and you may not want to have the bar. Emphasis on may not want to have the bar. Um, but I'd, I guarantee you'll be more present with the food. If you find yourself falling back into kind of that perfectionist mentality, take a deep breath and kind of saying to yourself is this sentence will kind of help things for you is, your physical health and your mental health is progress. It is not perfection. That is all. I think we need a mic drop for that one. Yeah, just a moment of silence for our comrades. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So, like, yeah, physical mental health is progress. It's not perfection. Yeah, that's it. You, you tip on quite a bit there that a lot of people don't realize that. Like, soon as you bring in this black and white thinking you've automatically snookered yourself. Oh, yeah, you've you shot yourself in the foot. Yeah, it's, you're going to have to do double amount of work to see a 1% change. And that's what people don't realize. It's just like, yeah, but like I'm dieting even lower calories. So it's like, yeah, true. But what about stress? What about all the other aspects of life, how you treat yourself? And then obviously because obviously time, this is going to provide a stress. It's going to tax your willpower. It's very context dependent, but the time you get to Saturday and there all hell comes loose now because, well, what have you been doing? And this is the issue. I think you brought up the thing about stress. And I think a lot of people, when they think of stress, they think of like, oh, I need to be in a ball of stress. I need to be like all over the place. There's a, we don't realize as humans how much stress is having an impact on our body, how much of an impact it's having on our choices, our decisions. Mm-hmm. It's like when I ask a client, like, are you stressed or whatever it may be, they think that they have to be like anxious and tight and just like emotional and stuff. Your body will tell you if you're, if you're stressed, your body will, your appetites, your behaviors, 
how you feel in general will, will ultimately tell you if you're stressed. And I think if we can kind of try to get in tune with that, I, it's not an easy thing to do because a lot of people are just go, 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 go. And that's a type of stress all the time. And then they're like, well, my food choice are getting impacted. My mood's getting impacted. My relationships are getting impacted. Mm -hmm. But then they don't take a step back. Yeah. And that comes down to like the two mechanisms, adaptive and non-adaptive. You need something that is going to help you get through something and something that is non-adaptive in the sense that, oh, look, I use alcohol. I use uh, food as a crutch. Uh, you know, these are non-adaptive in a sense that you're using it to mask a problem. You're not using something to help dissipate that problem. And we're not saying stress is as a whole a bad thing. Stress is no. one of the primary key aspects in how we change. It is one of the reasons how the body stays within a homostatic position. So how it stays in balance. We need stress. But the aspect is that we often don't look at all the other aspects where they stem from. It's like we have enough research to show that if your mother or father in your infancies were always in a heightened stress position yeah. because of their environment, because of their work, it gets put onto you that you display a little bit more anxiousness, a little bit more stress through later in life because this is a norm for you. But you've never questioned it until finally everything starts getting worse and worse and worse and worse. And now finally everything comes to the surface because it hasn't been dealt with. So it's like you can't let some of these things just keep bubbling away and going, yeah, but that's okay. You know? I'm going to push everything down. Push, 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 push. And then expecting it not to explode. Exactly. It's like look at it from an aeropress. You're providing a lot of pressure, right? The difference with the aeropress is that you actually push things out the other side. There's a little bit of force. There's a little bit of friction in there, making it a little bit slower, but you're still making sure something comes out the other side. Most of us want to push it against the wall where there is no ability to go anywhere, where the force has to come back at us. And that's where things go wrong. Is literally you end up finding that cycle disappears, inability to sleep starts to go, your health starts to deteriorate, digestion starts to go crazy. It's like there are so many negative effects that can come from unresolved stress. And it's not, as we were saying, it's not something that you're like, oh, look, I'm permanently anxious or I need to crawl up in the bed and cry and do these things. You mentioned there about kind of constantly feeling stressed, constantly feeling anxious. And that leads into the next topic, which is kind of managing shift work, because generally shift work can have a massive impact on the on the body. Nice segue. You like that segue, Dallas? Yeah, I'm like, damn, you get as good as I do at times. Come on now, better. Um, in relation to the shift work, because we have a lot of kind of nurses, we have a lot of guards, we have an awful lot of people uh, that work a lot of mental hours and we all work mental hours sometimes, but shift works in particular can have a massive impact on, as you said, digestion, stress, loads of different things. How do you work with your clients on like one, managing the actual stress and then the nutrition side of things? So managing stress will change depending on the person. I want everyone finding some way of relieving stress that is not a non-adaptive aspect. So it's not relating to food, it's not relating to alcohol, right? So that means that you need to employ a few different strategies. For some people, exercise is going to be a wonderful adaptive strategy, purely for the fact that you're releasing the endorphins within the body. It actually shuts off the stress response. 
provided you're not going absolutely 90 at it and going overboard, then you often see a rise in stress. You can bring in the likes of meditation, journaling, talking to others, phoning others, having a common humanity aspect. I know we spoke about a common humanity and self-compassion. It's the same aspect. You need to bring that humanity side to it. And then it's also looking at the sum of your stresses. What are the main stresses? What can be controlled and what cannot be controlled? When you know what can be controlled, you can start putting things into place to control them. When there are certain things that cannot be controlled, and that is the current pandemic, your essentially the stress you get from your job. There are certain things you can do within your job to limit it, but there are certain aspects that you cannot. And knowing the difference between the two helps you manage these things. And you need to know these aspects. People just go, yeah, my whole job's a stress. It's like, that's not possible. There are going to be aspects that you have the fundamental capability to control. It just means you're going to have to put more work in to control it. And that's the uncomfortable part. And there will be parts you cannot control. How your boss talks to you, what end of work you end up getting. You can't control those things. But you can control how you tackle the day. You can tackle, tackle how you see and perceive the world around you. And that will help mitigate some of the stress. So once you start bringing in the likes of your meditation, your journaling, your yoga, whatever that adaptive strategy it is, it's trying to make that more of a routine and actually use them to help you. So most people go like, oh, I'm only going to do it at, say, once a month. <laughs> it's like, oh, that's not going to help. <laughs> it's something that you adhere to. It becomes a non-negotiable. It means that you need to manage it as it is occurring. For some people, doing a psychological breath which is a basically quick, deep inhales through the nostrils and a slow exhale, do it four to five times in a period of time, helps lower your overall stress. And it's known as a psychological sigh in a sense because we often see that people do it in around um, funerals or tough situations. The body needs something quickly to cope so they can keep going through it. And then you see people just, and then breathe out slowly and now coming back to baseline. So you can use aspects again. But once you've done that, then you start need to look at other things. For especially for shift work, like sleep-wake cycle is a serious problem, is what people don't realize. So, like I know we've spoken a little bit about sleep and kind of bright light um, in one of the early ones that we spoke about, and talking about the suprachiasmatic nucleus, which is essentially the controlling body for our sleep-wake and biological rhythms. Now, when you're shift working, that goes out of whack. Because we, we're di diurnal uh, humans, I diurnal mammals type of thing. It means that we follow a 24 cycle, approximately. But when the sun wakes and comes up, we mostly get up. And when the sun goes down, we mostly go to bed. That's biologically how we've been created. But when you're in a shift work position, that's completely sh uh, shifted. <laughs> so what that means is sunset. I know, terrible, but I just had to do it. <laughs> When sunset occurs, this is your morning light. So that means you need to get as much light in that period of time and try and get as much of that as you can. And that also means that when it's coming to bed in the morning, when it's sun, uh, sunrise, you need to get less and less of that because it's going to start pushing your circadian rhythm further and further and further. And this is some of the issues that people go through because now we're under 24-hour lights at work. So that's also going to give us too much bright light. So make sleeping harder. And some of the issues what you see from shift work is usually um, it's otherwise known as like a shift lag syndrome or kind of jet lag syndrome. So essentially you end up being have fatigue, sleepiness, insomnia, 
digestive troubles, poor mental health, reduced performance, into what there's aspects of cardiovascular disease also coming in there as well because of irregularity of sleep, which is a big problem, and sleep um, latency, i.e. how long it takes you to get to sleep. So there's a lot of issues when it comes to it. But when it when you're trying to fix them, you want to ensure that obviously you're doing your best to improve sleep and get light where it needs to be done. But then you also want to ensure that your meal times aren't too close to when you're going to fall asleep. So that means that you need regular meals. You also need to be conscious of where you're exercising in the night. So you prefer to not exercise at two, three o'clock in the morning because it's going to delay your sleep because it's going to essentially wake the body up a bit. So then you need to be cautious of what you eat or how you eat should I be more uh, emphasis on. And when you're doing shift work and like it's a massive thing because we see like insulin sensitivity go down in shift workers. Massive thing. We also see that cardiovascular disease really does start to go out. We end up seeing that some people all go have like gastric um, distress, have inability to absorb enough of the calories. We see that like bile starts to decrease as well. Motility goes all haywire. You've got a susceptibility to ulcers. It, like shift work is literally one thing that if I can recommend for anybody, probably don't do. Um, but from a nutrition standpoint, keep regular meals. Try to ensure that at the beginning you're starting off with a relatively biggish meal. Try and get exercise relatively closer to the start of your shift if you can, and that's if you're going to start. And then you want to essentially lower your amount of food as you get closer and closer to the end of your shift. When you are coming home, and if it is sunrise, put some glasses on even if it's not that sunny out. So that way that blue light is going to have a little bit of a filter to go through. Um, and then you've going to have to try and ensure that the room is dark. You're going to have to make sure it's cold enough as well. You need to make sure there's not enough um, noise going on. So that way you can kind of improve these things. Yep. And disappear of phones. That's going to like, you're going to have to be diligent to this. And the worst thing is happening is if you're following a week-on-week uh, change roster, that is literally one of the worst things you can do for your body because you don't have enough time to cement a new circadian rhythm schedule, and that's a big problem. So if you can talk to your employer and say, hey, I'll prefer to do a month on, and then you can swap my schedule, perfect. Two weeks should be probably the minimum you can get away with um, in, in order to see a change in your circadian rhythm. But then we can also go down into so many other things. No, but I think that's what you said there. Like, they're very practical. You haven't tried to operate someone's life with that advice. Like, you try to say the practical stuff, the unsexy stuff. That's kind of like the pillars and stuff that we always talk about. And I mean, that's they're very, very beneficial and kind of like having your exercise closer to the beginning of your shift, having the, the the regular meals throughout the day or whatever it may be. Try to stay away from caffeine at night would be also beneficial. Blackout blinds in your room, cold room, get the phone out of your hands, have a rule of like no phone after a certain amount of time, having the shades on or whatever it may be. I know in winter or whatever, the darkness will, will, will help with that. But like if you're, if you're doing it now and it's kind of coming into the summer, the circadian rhythm maybe uh, impacted a little bit more. Uh, and, I, and as you said, like it, it, it's, it has a massive, that's a massive stress on the body and it has a massive digestive issue as well in relation to it's going to send the stomach out of whack and you may be a little bit more constipated 
and that leads to discomfort then that leads to feeling blur mood um those who do shift work and stuff like that can also have higher levels of mental health issues and anxiety and depression as well and i think that kind of comes in with kind of like the negative talk and stuff that kind of kind of can creep in i think a lot of people are struggling with that right now because everyone is a bit fed up with what's happening like don't get me wrong it's and that everyone has the right to be fed up with what's happening mm. but i think with self-talk is i this is something i battled with for a very very long time and i know i know how to spot it now mm. when i'm tired <laughs> or i haven't eaten and dallas knows he asks have you eaten yet uh so that's why I, I ate rice cakes before i came on to uh to satisfy dallas's dallas's uh question um but in relation to kind of like the self-talk it kind of it comes through like an unspoken thoughts of like negative end of stream stuff that goes on in your head it's kind of like a little hamster on a wheel kind of going 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 all the time and it's generally kind of like our interpretation of the future the past present so we kind of future predict we try to read people's minds. We try to kind of go through what's happening at the present. And it kind of like, it's the negative approach. It's kind of like, this is this is the end of the world or whatever it may be. And then it's other things. And we dwell on what people have said when probably those people have never thought about that conversation ever again. And that's generally what happens. Ooh. And this internal chatter, which can be positive and negative, has a huge impact on our self-worth, our confidence, our resilience to do anything and the actions that we decide to take. And this could be in relation to the dieting that I'm a failure because I haven't dieted or I'm a failure because I haven't done anything. Since we're hardwired to remember negative experiences are positive ones, it's not uncommon for our inner critic, which could be more dominant than our inner coach. And I think Leanne Ward, the fitness dietitian, when she was on, she's like, embrace your inner mean girl. Would you talk to yourself the way you, uh, with the way you talk to yourself? And the answer is no. Like, would you say the horrible things when you look in the mirror about yourself? Um, and I think that's huge. We tend to replay the times we made a mistake more than times we did a good job, which only adds to power messages like we're not good enough or we can't do anything right. And these these messages over time can build up and become like a self-truth or self-narrative and they hold us back an awful lot. We keep living our lives on terms of reach and not reaching our potential, then we often don't realize that it's our self-talk or holding us back. It's our self-talk stopping us from what we actually want to do. We tend to blame others. We tend to blame society. We tend to blame everything else. But if we recognize and kind of be more present with them and bring conscious awareness to the internal dialogue that we actually have, then what we can do is we kind of, it would be the first step to kind of reframe this, this narrative that's kind of going on. So some of the, tre- the the trends that kind of people can fall into is kind of personalizing is one of them. Tendency to blame yourself yourself when things go wrong. So one of the things is like COVID. Well, we couldn't control that. Sure, I ate all the bats, and I was the one who let it out in Ireland. I knew you looked a bit odd. Uh, polarizing tendency to view things as purely good or bad, which comes back to the food. Oh, I, I have. I'm, I feel fat. Fat is not a feeling. That is a a, a value of self worth magnifying tendency to focus on the negative aspects of every situation dismiss anything remotely positive oh i've had a donut so i've, I've the, the world is over the, the the world is over like that's not beneficial uh i always struggle with this word um i'm going to use a different term for it thinking the worst going to happen expecting the worst to happen playing it around your head until it feels like it's really, really already happening so what we need to try and do the thing a tool that i've used and i've been taught how to use which is reframing 
Um, so reframing is shifting your perspective. It's about looking at a situation through a non-shit-colored lens and looking from another angle so you can form a more open, realistic view of the situation. So some of my clients will be like, this is Shane's going to mention the fact of the opinion thing. Yeah. So reframing your inner dialogue is not ignoring or suppressing your negative talk because we can't turn it off. It's not how the mind works. We can't just turn off our head. It's about acknowledging the words of your inner critic, but consciously choosing to believe a more supportive narrative. One that is led by your inner coach. So you're becoming your own coach or your own kind of um, cheerleader, mm. I think. But I don't want this some person to be thinking of like pom-poms and stuff. But getting to the habit of reframing negative self-talk can help you approach challenges and setbacks with a more open, realistic mindset. Ultimately, it's kind of like about challenging the, the inner critic. Some of the sentences that we kind of can look at is, I can't do this, to I can do this. I'm a failure. Failure does not make me a failure. Failing is part of life. I choose to use this attempt as a actual education tool. What can I learn from this? And we learn from positives in our lives. We learn from negatives, but people tend to ignore the negative. We tend to ignore the failures that we've done, like with dieting, that this diet hasn't worked before. I suck at my job. How can I improve my skills at work and feel more confident at my job? That's how to reframe it. Mm. Like We need to avoid absolutes like never and always. Those two words have huge, huge um, impact on what we do on a daily basis. Using language like never and always can subconsciously hold you back. And instead of saying people never listen to me or everyone always ignores me, what I have to say, try to reframe it. Like there are some people in my life who don't appear to be listening to me. I wonder how I can get them to pay more attention to me. And we shouldn't be needing to get more attention from other people. We need to look at our intention on ourselves as well. But you can kind of say, right, can I have a chat with my parent? Can I have a chat with my partner or whatever it may be? And do it that way. Because they have stuff going on as well, which sometimes we forget. And we can use forward-focused language. So instead of kind of like getting away from you cannot do and reframing yourself talking, go to I can't, to I can, I won't, to I will, I'm not, I am. Use these words to encourage yourself. Say what say what you would say to your loved ones rather than what you say to yourself in private. Like if you're looking in the mirror and you're not happy with it, why not try to say, say to yourself and give yourself a positive affirmation and say, oh, I like how my clothes are feeling. I like how I won today. I like how my energy feels. I like how I feel in these pair of jeans. And that over time will build up. Be curious and kind of look at your triggers and identify those. Certain events, certain things like... Um, newspaper articles or social media could trigger you but you have to say to yourself right why is that triggering me why is that actually annoying me mm. and what's going to help you to to kind of is it going to be drink a bottle of wine is it going to be take loads of drugs is it going to have food or whatever it may be but if you're going to do that is that going to beat yourself up and kind of the, what the hell effect can kind of come up we have to identify these things called like self-talk traps um, and kind of mentally prepare Dallas is nodding and like, yes, like the Churchill dog over there. Um, then we need to set boundaries, set healthy boundaries. Give yourself permission to put boundaries in place. Don't be afraid to say no to other people, to events, situations that drain you or bring the worst out of you. If someone's constantly giving you hassle or grief or whatever it may be, remove it. Don't be afraid to say no. If you look at my social circle from six years ago, five years ago to it is now, it's completely different. Did it piss people off the time? Yes, but I, you have to look after you. The same goes for your digital environment. 
than your news feed, your Twitter feed, your social media, your your Instagram? Are they serving you or are they dra- are they actually draining you? Is your relationship serving you or actually draining you? Are you feeding your mind and impacting the stream of your thoughts by what you're looking at? If the last thing you see on a social media post before you go to bed is some ripped man with a girl with the big glutes or whatever, and that's triggering you, why are you going on to it? Like, it's counterintuitive. Oh, I'm tired, I'm stressed. But how is that going to improve your tiredness or your stress? We need to challenge that inner critic. Challenge your inner critic by asking yourself, am I jumping to a conclusion? Is there any actual evidence to support my thoughts? Is there any other way to look at this situation? Get away from the shit color lens. People would say that this is so very difficult to do or very easy to do or easy to say, should I say. And it's not easy. But what is? Nothing that we do is easy. You think someone who's at the top of their job or whatever, or a professional football or a professional rugby player, they don't see the bumps in the road that gets them there. It's not going to work in a straight line. Can I do anything now to change the way I'm feeling about myself? There are clues, new habits and changes worth implementing. When has, when has this limiting thought or belief been proven wrong? The goal is to debunk your thought. Is it a fact? The fact is my name is Shane. Opinion. I don't know. Can't even come up with one now. I'm on the spot. But that's the, pro- that's the thing. Like, it's, like we say, oh, I'm fat. Well, that's a value of self-worth. That's not a fact. That's an opinion. That, you, that, that you're comparing yourself to other social media, you're comparing yourself to social norms is one of them. Negative thoughts circulating. How do you address it? Do you kind of write it down or you just let it rattle around in your head? Negative thoughts are going to come in. That's how the brain works. It's going to come back into those little, those little drip feeds of those. If you can reflect, it will kind of like zoom out and kind of give you like, a, if you think of it like Google Maps, it'll kind of give you a more peripheral view and give you more balance and more realistic uh few of it and kind of accept your downfalls yes you've made mistakes we all make mistakes um how what can i learn from this mistake and how can i avert it or try to for it won't happen again yeah practice positive affirmations and this is something that i love i have my journal here beside me and it's the last thing i I write in at the end of each day is like i set myself the goal at the end of 90 days and then I have my weekly goal that's toward those 90-day goals. And then at the end of every day, I will have those ticked off. At the minute, they're very business-orientated, and Dallas gives out to me. Um, but I haven't been uh, able to train, so I've shifted my focus. But now I will be able to train. Um, so I'm waiting on my program, which I cannot wait because uh, I want to train. Um, you, you could also create like a cheat sheet and kind of say to yourself, like, have a positive app saying yes i did it i got that promotion i got this new job i got a pb or i went for a walk or i drank three liters of water i played football with my kids i'm so happy that i did it but if things aren't going to plan how do you turn how do you how do you reaffirm those when you're in that negative headspace how do you reaffirm those and it could be as simple as i tied my shoe it could be as simple as that and you're like that's really stupid like yeah but at the same time, any small win builds up over time. Change the intensity of your language. Change it from this is the worst thing that's ever happened to this is challenging. I hate, I don't like. I think there are huge elements of it. Um, it's not easy to do it. And it's very difficult to do when you're, but you also have to recognize the triggers. You also have to 
look at what way are you dealing with it are you are you trying to numb your feelings are you trying are you not dealing with your emotions are you pushing them down even further um, i think that's a massive factor mm, two things i would actually actually bring on to that would be uh eckhart toll's way of looking at the world yeah which is a wonderful way of looking at things and going like you are not your thoughts yeah you're not your emotions you are you and everyone's just like, oh, I don't understand what that means. It's like the sum of your emotions are an aspect of what occurs through life, how you progress through life. Your thoughts are a product of a multi-dimensional, as people like to call it, or are a lot of functions coming together to develop an understanding of what's occurring. You can control these things. You can allow them to ruminate. You can control them and tell them and put light to them. You can say, yes, that is me. That is no, not me. You have that ability. And it drives people nuts when I'm like, when they go, I want to make a change and everything. I'm struggling to make a change. And I'm like, well, you have the ability. Like, don't don't tell me that it's, oh, look, uh, I've always been this way, as we spoke about, you know. Oh, my friends look at me this way or, you know, I've always done it that way or whatever it may be. It's like you have the ability to change not only your narrative, but your identity. You have the ability to stop those thoughts. You have the ability to look at them in a different light and things will change. It's like we see a progression from kids to adults, which is that identity coming in. The identity of what a kid wants and what identity of a teenager wants is vastly different from what an adult wants. And that's because they start bringing in other things and start accepting things and bringing doubt in. And when a kid believes they can do anything in the world until someone tells them they can't. Yeah. And if you're going to do the same thing to yourself, you realize you're not going to get anywhere. And then the second point is just that learning from failures can only work if you look out on upon a, a position of growth. If you come in it with a tinted understanding or a tinted lens that no matter all my failure, I always hit a wall, so it's never going to work, nothing's going to change. Until you change your view of how failure works and how growth occurs, you will continuously hit the same wall at the same time every single time. And you will fail. Yeah. And that has to be said. Like, I know, I know from talking to people, especially with what's happening, and I'm kind of like, especially in kind of, like, I'll revert it back to the business side. Like, when you start off a business, you expect you want it to be the biggest thing or whatever it may be. And you want it to, like, you're looking for a guarantee that it's going to work. And then what your self-worth holds you back in relation to one the workload that you put into it the effort you put into it the pricing that you put into it you 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 don't get to decide the price the customers get to decide the price do you think people are paying lots and lots of money for mercedes mercedes didn't detect the price they probably just tried to test a few samples and said right let's see what the cut the customers go for that's generally how things are tested against the customer. So you're better off. I'd rather I always like, especially like what's tonight? Tonight's I've got the female fat loss webinar tonight. It was an idea. I was like, right, I'll try it and see what happens. And I sold out in two, two or three days. And I never thought that was going to happen. But if I hadn't said to myself, right, if I don't try it and it, uh, and it doesn't work, well, then I know that no one's interested in it. And I still have the podcast. 
I still have been able to see coaches corner and still get that information from that webinar out onto the podcast. So that's how I reframed it in my head. If no one bought it, I've been like, oh, well, move on. Yeah. People still listen to the podcast. So let's focus on who wants the information. Yeah. Um, but I think this is, there's so much in that. The metabolism stuff is fascinating. The collagen bit, the um, white perfection stopping you from hitting your goal. Managing shift work, I think, is hugely important. I think that hopefully that helps a few people and then reframing negative self-talk and there's so much mindset stuff. And if you guys have questions on it or on any of the, the stuff that's in or if you have questions that you want us to do, Jane's on the next one. Am I correct, Mr. Dallas? <laughs> and that's going to be an interesting one for everyone. Oh, we got the topic yesterday. There's going to be a rant. Um, we might have to split that into two. Um, so yeah, we have we know exactly what we we know what the topic is for that. So that should be exciting, and having Jane back on will be fun. Having the three amigos uh, as the WhatsApp group is called. Um, I also think I'm going to put it out for uh, like in advance that a lot of what we're going to talk about is our views and understandings of what the topic is, and we're not excessively trying to bring in science and literature to it, but more of an aspect of how the environment has framed our understanding of these things. So there's a I'm lot. I'm just going to sit there and eat ice cream. So yeah, there's a lot to unpack and there's going to be a lot of different understanding from it, but it gives people some aspect to think about. That's, I might play a referee. Oh, that'll be fun. I might just get a referee, like a foot locker top and uh, play referee and a whistle on a yellow card and a red card. That's what I might do and record it. Uh, but Dallas, thank you so much for your time as uh, always. Um, so hopefully, when this is coming out, we could be we could be free. <laughs> hopefully, that would be nice. Um, so yeah, but guys, thank you so much for listening, and please, please, please keep leaving reviews. We need reviews. Um, and keep sharing the podcast and keep getting it up to it's a pure vanity metric getting it up on the charts genuinely is absolute vanity uh, but thank you so much guys for listening and thank you so much Dallas.